Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. If you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, day is my first day of optometry school. Um, I'm probably freaking out, but it'll be okay. So from here on out, um, expect some more personal content. I'll be sharing my experience with the first week of school um, and anything else along the way. So super excited to go on this journey with you guys. Um, but back to today's episode, um, today I have with me Dr. Alicia Feist from Midwestern University um, College of Optometry in Arizona. Um, and she's going to share with us a little bit about what Midwestern University in Arizona has to offer. Dr. Feist is the Dean of the College of Optometry at Midwestern University, and she's also a associate professor. She teaches the business course to first-year optometry students, and she's also teaching some disease courses for third-year students. So if you're interested in learning more about the Midwestern University College of Optometry, this episode is for you. All right. Well, Dr. Feist, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for your time. I'm really excited about this. Awesome. So for those of you who are new here, usually for our interview episodes, we split it into three segments. So the first set of questions are going to be the admission related questions. And we are going to start with a very basic question, but a question that a lot of people ask it is, what are you looking for in an applicant? So that is grades wise, involvement, experience, etc. I think when you're looking at all the schools, you know, specifically what we're looking for at ASCOPT, but even just in the profession of optometry, true leaders in um, individuals and people who have done things within their school, maybe they were a part of a club or maybe they led um, different types of activities, maybe with younger individuals, but really we're looking for leaders that are going to be emerging within our profession and also individuals who have a passion towards helping people and a passion towards optometry. But I also wanna make sure that you think about communication skills. So the great thing about being an optometric physician is that you do have the time to be able to kind of talk with your patients. And so someone who can be articulate and have that type of relationship with a patient are things that we're definitely looking for in an applicant um, in our program. And then also the things that you mentioned, you know, grades, competitive grades, every program's looking for someone who has competitive grades. In our application process, if you actually have a GPA that's less than a 2.75, uh, your application won't actually even hit our system to go to be sent to the admissions committee. Um, you also, when we take a look, a bachelor's degree is required in order to come to our college and for you to be enrolled. When we talk about involvement, again, that can be involvement maybe within your local community, that could be involvement within um, something related to your church, maybe it's even something related to something, uh, your fraternity or sorority. We're really looking for people who are interested in the helping profession and have done something um, inside or, or again, somebody helping individuals around them. Ideally, the involvement is going to be in, in the optometric field, but it doesn't have to be. I know I was a student who didn't think I, what, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was a senior in college and, you know, optometry kind of came about. So it was definitely something that I researched afterwards. And I just think when you come for your interview, if you show the passion that you have, that will really kind of help you stand out as an applicant. 
So when it comes to experience, you could have a plethora of experience or you could just have a little bit, but I do think it's important that you have a little bit of insight of what you're going to be doing in relationship to optometry. So a lot of questions that you're gonna get in the interview process, most likely at any school is gonna be, what's the difference between an optometrist versus an ophthalmologist versus an optician? Just so you have an idea and so the admissions committee knows that you have an idea of what you're getting into as you are pursuing the profession of optometry. So specifically the understanding of the profession, I would say would be a very important aspect uh, of what we're looking for in an applicant. Right, and you touch on a very good point because um, a lot of people are concerned that they're quote unquote late bloomers um, in when they found their passion for optometry. And this is a great example. You um, found out about optometry late in your college career and that still you know, made it possible for you to go pursue optometry um, and become a successful optometric physician. Absolutely. And I think there are also some people that are like, oh, I can't apply. Or um, some people have some hesitations where they're like, oh, I wanted to go to medical school. And then I realized what that was going to be like, or I even took the MCATs. Um, and then I decided to go to medical school and that didn't work out. Like now I can't apply to anything else because no one's going to want me. I don't think that that's actually true. I think there's a lot of different schools and even a lot of different professions that understand as you're trying to pursue what you want to do moving forward in your career, there are going to be maybe doors that you open and decide maybe that's not for me. And you end up landing in one of the things that you never thought about. So I think all applicants should never second guess themselves and even pursue. Um, if, if optometry is something that you found maybe later on, then great, go ahead and pursue that. And don't think because you maybe had considered dental or pharmacy prior to even you applying to optometry school, that's not necessarily going to be a negative on your application process. Right, yeah, and we, I mean, I get that question a lot and a lot of people talked about it and they said, you know, I, you know, explored so many options, like, does that make me less competitive? Do I seem fake or do I come across as this is, you know, my backup plan? Um, but you can, you know, look at many options, but you can't choose all of them. So whichever one that you um, choose to pursue ultimately is going to be the one that makes the most sense for you. Um, and there's, you know, no shame in that. Absolutely. 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 All right. So you did mention that a bachelor's degree is required, and I know that's not true for all programs. So I want to make sure I ask this question. So can you get invited to interview with prerequisites still in process? Um, so if you're applying in this, usually people apply in the summer before their senior year. So do you have to have your bachelor's degree ready when you apply or how does that process kind of work? No, so you can absolutely apply um, with prerequisites in process. And if your bachelor's is not complete, you can still apply. You don't need to have that completed. You'll just have to have it completed before you actually matriculate in the fall that you're going to start. So there's several of our deposited students that are even continuing to finish up a few of the prerequisite courses right now in the summer. So they might've graduated in May. They're already going to be starting here in the fall and they're taking say one extra class in order to kind of complete that prerequisite. So you absolutely can apply without having your prerequisites done. They just need to be completed before you start. Awesome, thanks for that clarification. Um, so we didn't really touch on the OAT. Do you guys require the OAT as part of the application? 
So we do require um, an entrance test as part of the application. So we will take an OAT, but also we will take dental scores. So a DAT will also take the PCAT, which is the pharmacy college admissions test. We'll take an MCAT store um, and we'll also take a GRE score. So we do, we don't necessarily, it's not isolated to the OAT in order for you to apply to the Arizona College of Optometry. Um, we will take other scores and prior to COVID, yes, you would have had to have completed the OAT before you kind of complete your application process before we would invite an interview. But because of all of the complications um, recently with getting into the testing, we have invited some applicants. So if that's something that continues, um, I think that that will be a trend that we continue to do. You know, it's not necessarily your fault that things get canceled. So, but we won't offer um, an admissions yes or no until some type of score is given to us in any type of entrance exam. We do also have um, dual admissions processes that are in place with some different universities in Arizona. So if you're a ASU student or you're a Arizona Christian University student, we have dual application processes that if you say enter into uh, ASU or the Arizona Christian as a freshman um, and you maintain certain grades, you actually are guaranteed admittance into uh, for an interview to the Arizona College of Optometry. So there's different ways. Um, and then you also don't necessarily have to take the OAT in order to kind of move through that process. Awesome. That is great. I did not know about that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners don't either. Um, do you know, like, if you have to apply while you're in undergrad or how does that process kind of work? Yep, so you would apply as you're kind of applying into um, ASU or Arizona Christian, you would apply as a freshman. And then there's kind of a contract that we have with you that says that you will maintain a certain GPA and you'll perform um, certain requirements. And then assuming that you meet all of those, then you would be granted that interview process and most likely admission into the school. Um, if it's something where you were unaware or you didn't know the program existed, we work on individual, we work with students on an individual basis to kind of see if maybe they would qualify and how we can work that into um, the agreement that we have with those colleges. And let's say that you go to those colleges and you don't for some reason meet the GPA requirements or something happens where you have to take some time off um, and you're unable to complete those requirements, you can still always go through the alternate process or the regular process to apply to the school as well. So there's multiple ways for you to be kind of a competitive applicant. Awesome. Um, so aside from the GPA and the prerequisites, can students major in anything of their choosing or is there specific um, majors that they are allowed to major in? You can major in whatever you want. Um, I know that we've had majors come from English, uh, business. Um, typically, most of the majors that come into optometry school are in most of the sciences, but that usually is just because that way they can kind of knock out a lot more of the prerequisites um, without having to take additional schooling. Awesome. So we talked a lot about how to become a competitive applicant, the different ways that you can be considered for admissions at Arizona College of Optometry. Um, now comes the fun part. How can an applicant prepare for an interview um, once they do get invited? Um, and also, are you guys still participating in virtual interviews 
for this upcoming cycle or are we um, going back to the in-person? So we're doing a little bit of both. Um, so for this upcoming application cycle, we are actually offering in-person as well as virtual. We realize that the virtual does allow students, you know, from different places, that's less time for them to take off and also the plane tickets and different um, travel arrangements in order to come to campus can also get very expensive. So we're offering a little bit of both for those people who apply. Um, the in-person is going to take place the same. So you would come here um, and our virtual interview is actually very similar as far as how it runs and the structure. So typically your virtual and or in-person interview is going to take up about half to maybe almost three-fourths of your day. So there's a lot of things that we try to make sure that you get to see um, and we try to highlight our campus a lot. The biggest thing I would say for your preparation for your interview day, hands down, would be research the school. Um, know something unique about that school that makes it a little bit different. And probably one of the biggest things whenever you go in for your interview, you know, kind of what, why do you want to go to that school? Um, faculty and people who are interviewing love to hear something unique about their school and it does help you stick out a little bit um, versus you saying, I want to go here because of the location. That being like the first, and location might be one of the reasons that you want to go there but sometimes it's more, I wanna go here because I like the small class size or I like the surrounding area or I like that you offer um, the different experiences on your externships or you know things that are somewhat maybe specific to the school. I would say that's something that will help you stand out in your application process as well as your interview day. Um, the other thing I would say as any applicant going through any interview process ask a question, even if you already know the answer. So if someone says, you know, do you have any questions? Don't be afraid to ask, you know, you know, why did you even become an optometrist? Or why do you teach there? Or what do you think makes your school unique? Or why, why should I choose to come to your school? Those might even be easy questions that you could ask and you might learn a little bit more about the school than you thought of. Um, but it does, it shows interest when an applicant actually asks a question, again, even if you already know the answer. Um, if you're coming here, I would make sure if you're coming to an in-person interview, please make sure you wear your good walking shoes. Uh, we do walk you around campus because we are a campus that's integrated with a lot of different health professions. We walk you across the street to where all of our clinics are, as well as on the, the Glendale side of campus that we call it, that's where all the classrooms are. So it's a little bit of walking um, that you're gonna do and make sure too that you're dressing the part. So making sure that you look nice, you don't necessarily have to be in a suit jacket, but that you are prepared for an interview and have a professional look. I think that that's very helpful. Um, please just be yourself. If there's anything that I can say preparing for your interview day, we all know that you're gonna be a little bit nervous and that's okay. Um, and also preparing a mock interview. I would suggest anytime you're gonna go in for an interview that you talk to someone else and kind of prepare certain answers. I mean, typical answers is why do you wanna be an optometrist? You know, what excites you? What do you think you wanna do as an optometrist? Tell me a little bit about the profession of optometry. There's easy things for you to kind of prepare for that interview day that I think someone else could talk to you about and how to help you kind of polish your um, interview process and your interview skills. Um, so I think those would be, and then, you know, typical day of questions would be, or day of like drive around, make sure that you arrive on time. 
so that you're not frazzled. And one interview tip I would give as far as virtual is please make sure that you don't turn your cameras off when there are people who are talking to you in a larger group setting. Um, and if you are having any type of internet connectivity issues, just communicating to one of us or our admissions team that that was you know, what's happening so that we can help make sure that you're getting the information that you need. So I think that that's just very important as far as communicating what's happening or if you're not able to make um, a section or a part of the day that you're communicating as to why. The so, one last tip I would give is preparing a thank you note. So I think it means a lot after you go through the admissions process by, by even if that's sending an email and saying thank you for your time, that does help you stand out a little bit as an applicant and those little tiny things matter. And I think that they really make an impression on the admissions team. Awesome, these are some great tips. Um, I have one more question. So for the interview day, is it open or closed file typically? Oh, that's good. Uh, good question. So it is a closed file. The only thing that the faculty members have in front of them when they're interviewing you is your application essay. Um, and so everything else, it is a closed file. So they don't have your GPA, they don't have anything else. And that's how we keep, um, we like to keep our interviews and they've been that way the entire time and we have no plans to change that. Awesome. So I guess also kind of read through your essay once more, just make sure that you have every answer for any possible questions that they could ask you about your essay, right? Yep, yep. Awesome. So you completed interview day, you saw the campus, you fell in love with the campus, and you're still, you know, a little nervous about how you did and how you performed, how you came across. Um, can you briefly explain um, what happens next? What are the next steps that applicants um, should be familiar with um, after they've completed an interview? So once you've been on campus, you'll actually receive communication from our admissions department, and that will kind of give you an idea of when the admissions committee is going to meet and you'll get your answer. Typically, we respond to all of the interviewees when they came within a week. Sometimes it's a two week process, um, but it's all dependent upon when the committee meets. So if let's say your interview day was on Wednesday and the committee meets on Thursday, then you actually would know whether you got in or you were on the wait list or you were denied um, on that third on probably by Friday after the committee met. So we make sure that we tell and feedback to all of our <clears throat> interviewees um, whether you know they did get it accepted, whether they are on a wait list and, and where they are in that application status all at the same time. Um, we want to make sure that you are are in the know as quickly as possible. You'll receive an email as well that kind of details if you are accepted, you know, what do you do with that acceptance and what the deadline is for you um, to take that acceptance and put a deposit in. Great. Um, so in the event that you are denied admission, do you get any sort of a feedback as to why that that is so you can, um, you know, avoid that or work on it for your next cycle? Yep. Um, we absolutely do. We provide feedback. So let's say that you um, were denied. It might be for a plethora of reasons. We will sometimes write to them, to, to the applicant or to the interviewee and say, these are the reasons as to why you were denied. And here's some tips or pointers. Um, we would love to have you reply or excuse me, apply again so that perhaps maybe in the next admission cycle, you might be able to get in. 
um, you know, depending on where you are in the application process, if let's say you applied later, so if you had an applicant who applied, say in April, the class might be full. Um, so you might not be able to get into the class. That might be a reason, you know, your place or even on a wait list. So it kind of depends on when you apply in the application cycle as well. Awesome. And this is a good closing reminder too. Um, optometry admissions is usually on a rolling basis. So the earlier you get your application in, um, the better your chance is of getting into the school that you want. So um, we are, uh, we touched on all the admissions related questions and we're getting ready to um, touch on some program related questions. So um, the first question that I have is just give us a brief overview of what the OD curriculum is like at Arizona. Um, and that being, you know, when do students start seeing patients? Um, how many years of didactic coursework do they have to complete? Um, things like that. So our curriculum is set up a little bit uniquely in that their first year of classes, you will take some of your basic science courses with our dental students. So we are an integrated healthcare community um, and you will be taking some different classes with different health professions. So our PT school, our speech language, um, the pharmacy school, you'll, you'll be seeing a lot of those different professions and, and specifically in your first year, you will be taking classes with dental. You also get a brief, um, or excuse me, you get your introduction into optics as well as anatomy and physiology. And then of course the favorite one is methods you will learn how to do all entrance skills, split lamp, as well as refraction by the end of your first year. So you'll have a lot underneath your belt. So after your first year of optometry school, you'll kind of be able to go home and do most of the eye exam, um, which is really fun. And I know something that students enjoy. We also have a lot of opportunities for you to practice the skills that you're learning in the methods courses um, with community outreach. So I think it's extremely important that applicants take a look at schools when they say that they get you into clinic early, what does that mean? So we particularly at the Arizona College of Optometry don't have you seeing your first patients on your own by yourself until summer quarter of your third year. The reason that we're very strategic about doing that is one, we wanna make sure that the very first time that you are interacting with a patient that you are confident in that because as soon as you put on a white coat, a patient is going to be asking you a lot of different questions. You guys are gonna get that too when you start uh, school. A lot of people are like, oh, you're, you're in eye doctor school. So I have this thing on my eye and you're like, I'm a second, like I've, I've been in school for two weeks. I have no idea what to tell you. Um, those are things that we want. I want. We want that interaction to be positive. We also want you to be in charge of that interaction. And we want to make sure that, you know, if a patient asks you a question that you can confidently answer them in a way that feels comfortable for you, but also for them. So we want that interaction to be positive. We also know that you are going to be extremely busy studying and learning. And typically, um, when you are placed in clinic as a first year student, it's taking blood pressure. Um, we here don't personally think that that's a great use of your time for you to be taking blood pressure on say 20 different individuals. It's gonna take four hours out of your day every single week. We think that that time is well spent better on um, maybe some of the classes or maybe learning some of the things and the techniques that you need to do in order to be a, a successful optometrist. In the second year, you will learn all of your ocular disease curriculum 
as well as we call it kind of the optometry sciences. So kind of how vision and learning are related. And then as well as visual neurophysiology, you'll take some of your pharmacology classes as well. And the method sequence will also now kind of hit the, the health portion of the eye. So your dilated retinal exams and also the binocular vision testing. And then you also move into a little bit of the specialties into contact lenses. And then in your summer quarter of your third year, that's when you will start seeing patients and all full in part-time and then also in classes part-time. And your classes are gonna start lending to more of the specialties. So specialty contact lenses, um, specific binocular vision disorders, such as strabismus and amblyopia and um, low vision classes, your neuro classes, um, your laser courses. So a lot more of the specialties that are included within optometry. And then your fourth year, you will actually go out on rotations. And then after that, you will be a graduate. Um, there are a few key aspects of our program that I didn't talk about, but that is a capstone research project. So we do require our students to do some type of research when they're here, but the research project that we talk about, you are in a group setting and you're actually working with a faculty mentor. So over 90% of the individuals from our program actually end up getting, are a published author by the time they leave as a graduate, which I think is something that helps sets our students apart. Um, because of our capstone research projects, they end up presenting a lot of that information at a national meeting. So that's kind of our curriculum, which is a little bit unique as well is the business curriculum. So there's a lot that's integrated into our um, business curriculum in your first year and your third year, talking a little bit about being a professional, but also what are maybe some communication techniques or insurances that you need to be a part of um, now that you're going to be an optometric professional, um, how are you going to be able to navigate that now that you're going to be a doctor in the field? Awesome. So definitely a unique curriculum for sure. Um, I have a few questions. So when you say um, the summer quarter of your third year, is that the summer right after second year? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yep. And in your third year, you're still taking some specialty courses, but the main focus is still clinic. You, it's kind of half and half. So you'll have half class and then half clinic. It's, it's probably, and a little bit less, like you'll get into a little bit more, um, there's less didactic work as you start to lead up into the national boards, which are taken in spring of your third year. So um, we really try to, you're heavily focused in a little bit more of the didactic curriculum in the summer and the fall, because we are a quarter system here at ASCOT. Um, so that's something that's a little bit unique as far as the curriculum goes. Awesome. And when you said um, there's a business curriculum within the optometric um, curriculum, um, do you offer other degrees for students that they can earn simultaneously while they're um, working on their OD degree? Or is it everyone takes the business classes? So everyone takes the business classes. Um, we don't offer a, like a master's in business or anything, but we do offer a master's in public health that's recently just started in this past year. And then we also offer a master's and or certification in precision medicine. So for individuals who are interested in kind of the genetics, so perhaps, you know, um, retinitis pigmentosa is a, a disease, ocular disease that you'll learn about, and there's a genetic component to that. 
So if you're interested in maybe something along those lines, you have an opportunity to pursue a certification or a master's in precision medicine, or maybe the master's in public health that you can also coincide and get at the same time that you're getting your optometric degree. Awesome. And for those degrees, do you have to go through a separate application cycle for them or how are you considered for those if you're interested? You do. You have to go through a separate application cycle. Once you're here um, and you're interested, you actually reach out to the program directors and you go through the application process because there's only so many that can be admitted into those um, programs throughout the year. And then you kind of work with um, myself and the other administrative team to kind of see if you didn't get selected, like how we can maybe get you to move forward. But it's something that once you're here on campus, we'll walk you through um, how to go through that process and maybe things that you can do to highlight your application to be considered. Awesome. Um, so we talked a lot about academics and um, how students are involved in class and in clinic. Um, but what are some other ways that students are involved on campus when they're not in class or clinic? I would say one of the greatest things about being on our campus is there's always something going on. I mean, we have over 14 different colleges here that you can interact with. So, um, you know, there's even a gym on campus. There is a cafeteria on campus. There's foosball on campus. There's a basketball court, a volleyball court. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for you to even kind of let loose um, and do things uh, related to drive. So there's um, a diabetes walk, there's a vision walk, there's, there's different um, clothing drives that, that happen around on campus. There's different clubs that you can do in relationship to sports. So we have intramural sports, if that's something that you're interested in doing. So there's a lot of opportunities for you to get involved even outside of optometry and even in different clubs, such as the One Health Club. I know one of our students um, is actually heading up a club and the One Health Club kind of talks to other students and how we can integrate, you know, how can some of the vet students integrate with optometry and how can we kind of help one another as a healthcare team, um, not only as students, but as the profession in general and helping um, patients alike. Awesome, I really think it's great that um different health professional students um, are kind of um, integrated together. I think that gives, you know, a sense of camaraderie and it's just good to get, you know, different perspectives from different programs. Um, and it's, you know, you make double the amount of friends that you would if you were just um, communicating with your program. You got uh, program. it. righty. so um, we're gonna uh, go back to patients. So um, is there an estimated number of patients that students typically see by the end of their program, like roughly? I'd say some of that ranges a little bit depending on how you pick your fourth year rotations. So for some of the students that are interested in say going into vision therapy and they've maybe selected a vision therapy um, rotation, your, your capabilities of being able to see a high volume or a number of patients just isn't possible based upon um, those exam types as well as low vision. In comparison to maybe someone who's at a high volume practice or at an ophthalmology practice, you'll end up seeing a lot more patients when you're there. But typically, most of the students that are graduating from our program are probably seeing anywhere from 750 to 1,000 patients by the time they graduate. Um, you know, I tried to pull some of the numbers. Obviously, COVID is something that has impacted our entire the health professions in general. 
but I do think that the um, number of patients coming into the clinic has actually been on an increase and we're kind of back up into full swing. So the number of patients that you're going to be seeing in the clinic here and out on your fourth year rotations will vary, um, but you definitely will have the confidence as you go out as a graduate. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so back to patient population. Um, so what is that like in Glendale, Arizona? So in Glendale, where the school is located, uh, you actually have the opportunity to see all types of patients. So our pediatrics clinic is very busy. So you'll see patients anywhere from, say, less than a year old to um, we also have a lot of older patients. So in Glendale, we are right next to Sun City and Surprise which has a large geriatric population. And um, there's snowbirds is a term I learned when I moved here in Arizona. So there's a lot of individuals who will come here in the winter time just because our weather is so wonderful. And um, a lot of those patients will actually come to the Eye Institute. So with a geriatric population, you're afforded the opportunity to see a lot of patients with ocular disease because typically ocular disease is going to hit an older patient population. Um, we also have a lot of referrals in because of our prosthetics clinic. So, which is very unique. Not every school has that. And we have two VAs, one VA is in Phoenix and then another VA in Tucson, which Tucson is a two hour drive from here. So we get a lot of referrals in from the VA and not only for just patient care for the VA patients, but also specifically in our prosthetics clinic. And so you really will see healthy patients, patients who have ocular disease, patients with high incidence of diabetes and um, blood, high blood pressure, low income. We have a lot of great grants and community partners where individuals will come specifically even with our native health population. There's a high bolus of Native Americans that live in Arizona and we do have some contracts with some different Native American um, tribes and or groups and some of those individuals are actually bused to the Eye Institute. So with those patients, you'll be able to see a high populace of diabetic patients. You also, we also have a sports vision clinic. So we are working together with some um, teams to actually help with sports vision. And we also have a new piece of equipment called the Cairn system. So our ability to help with acquired brain injury and traumatic brain injury is going to be an exponential growth within the next few years, just because of the capabilities of our new system. So we really have the opportunity when you come to the clinic to see all types of patients, um, young and old. Awesome. So with all those um, clinics, do third year students rotate through all of them based on what they want to go into or they're required to go through all of them? We typically have all of our students rotate through every single clinic at one point in time, just so that you can make sure, you know, even if you say, hey, I want to be in low vision and then maybe you're in low vision, you're like, no, maybe I don't want to be in low vision or vice versa. Maybe you're like, no, I don't want to do low vision and you have the opportunity to rotate through low vision and you end up loving it. So we do require that all of our students rotate through all of the specialties at one point in time, whether that's in a third year or fourth year. Um, you also have the opportunity as a third year, if you are interested in say, I want to do more vision therapy, or I wanna be in pediatrics, or I'd like to be in the glaucoma clinic, you can volunteer for some of those days and get additional opportunities um, as a student. Awesome. Um, so um, earlier in our conversation, you did mention that as students approach their spring of third year, they um, start getting ready for um, national boards, part one. 
um, or their specific courses or um, anything that you do to prepare students um, to take um, part one of national boards? Um, I would say there's a lot of things that we do for part one of national boards, but I would say specifically we kind of start early and one of that I think has to do with our faculty. Our faculty are very, very, very dedicated to our students and making sure that they're learning the material and if there's any obstacles that are presented to them that we kind of figure out ways for them to help navigate what would be the challenges that they're having with the acquiring of the information that's necessary for either optometric care and or boards. Um, I would encourage any applicant to always go to the optometriceducation.org website, which has the board's performance score reports. That, those reports were started four years ago. And that kind of gives what they were hoping for is an apple apples to comparison to kind of see, you know, how are students performing on boards in the schools themselves. And I'm proud to say actually in this last year, we were the highest performing um, in the 1920 year, we actually had the number, the best score out of all the schools in the part one performance, um, as well as part two, we had 100% pass rate. And then part three is the other component that's changing, which I think is where I'll get allude to that in just a second. And then the ultimate pass rate. So our students are very, very, very successful. There's a lot of things that we do um, individually. We have a committee that's set up that works with some of the students. We also have opportunities for tutoring. There's tutors on campus that are free for students that work with kind of how do you prepare for tests like that? How do you deal with test anxiety? Um, so I really think we have more of an individualized approach. And obviously what we're doing is working if you take a look at our scores, but we do not have any specific course that kind of prepares you um, for boards itself. But if there's something that we need to tailor, there's a lot of opportunities that our faculty will do individual reviews um, for things that students would like, and that's usually student driven, um, unless there's something else that we foresee having to be an issue or changing. And part three is actually something that's changing for the national boards, which you all being new applicants will be, will most likely be in effect as you um, enter optometry school. So the, for part three, you fly to North Carolina in order to take the technical skills component and a lot right now is based upon how do you do a, many components of the eye exam. A lot of that is going to be changed and there's going to be more decision-making process that's going on. So there's a lot of curriculum changes that I think all schools are making across the nation in order to help prepare students for the changes that are happening with part three. But we also have boards um, room. So when you fly and do um, the skill set for part three, um, you're recorded and you use a little bit of a, a video BIO. There's a, the same equipment, but how you use it is a little bit different. So we do have specific rooms that are dedicated in our preclinic lab for students that are for boards that you can record yourself and watch yourself and see kind of how things are going because there is a little bit of a script that you need to follow. And if there's any help that you need from an administrator and or a faculty member, they'll kind of help review you or will help review um, that for you and kind of give you pointers and tips. Awesome. And I really like that you also touched on like test anxiety as part of the things that you do to help students prepare for the test. Because I think when a lot of people are preparing for a big exam, they focus on the techniques and how to do well and they forget about mental health. And that goes back to the individualized approach that you guys take. And I just think that's really awesome. Yeah, I would say 
mental health is probably something that that's even something we touch on in orientation is making sure, you know, graduate school, wherever you go, optometry school is going to be a, an adventure um, and will challenge you in lots of different ways. And it's extremely important that you pay attention to your mental health as you're kind of navigating maybe some of the first challenges that you've ever had and reaching out and knowing that we're here as a supportive network to help you through everything, to get you to your goal. Awesome. So that actually segues perfectly into my last question. And that is failure. It's not a very fun thing that anyone likes to talk about. No one anticipates it, but it can happen. Um, And you obviously have, you know, tutors and um, great support for mental health and students who are struggling. Um, But specifically for failure, um, so that's academic wise, how do you support your students during that time? So I would say, you know, anytime a student fails an exam, we, our academic dean is very involved in the success of our students as well at the administrative team, even myself and all of our faculty. So in the event that you fail an exam, that already is going to trigger something either from the faculty member or our academic dean for us to kind of talk to you about, you know, how did you approach the exam? You know, was it something that we can work with like your study techniques? Um, But also, you know, what's going on in your life? Is there something else that maybe could have prevented you from being successful? And oftentimes we'll find that there's um, maybe other things going on that maybe have prevented your success. So we really do an individualized approach in the event that a student isn't being successful and we try to figure out different ways for them to be successful. Again, alluding back to the, the tutors, we have tutors available for students that way, you know, they can talk with upperclassmen in order to help get better and also talk to the faculty. We have an open door policy here at Midwestern, so you can come into our offices and talk to us at any point in time. Um, and I really think that that helps our students become very successful. And um, we're really just here trying to help, you know, if, if there's something going on personally, you know, unfortunately, life happens when uh, you are in optometry school. And so maybe there's a death in the family. That's also, you know, you're trying to navigate what's happening at school. So we really try to provide support for you and talk to you and figure out what's going to be the best for your academic career. And then kind of navigating through what that process looks like and how we can make sure that you make it to the finish line and being that doctor as you walk across the stage for graduation. Awesome. Um, So, I mean, dismissal is not usually the, you know, first, plan of action like you failed what it, like there is steps before you get to that point and there's a yeah lot of help if there's there's before. absolutely there's definitely steps so it's not like if you and this I would say there are always rumors that go around um and I would say I, I I'm not aware of any optometric institution where there's no intervention whatsoever and they immediately dismiss you from the program um dismissal is not anything that any of us want Um, and I would say, you know, if there's failure, then we are there. We're trying, we're going to try to help you to the finish line. We're going to try to help you in any way that we can. Um, you know, but if there's repeated, um, failures and there's no change and there's no, nothing changing on the part of the student or, um, anything there, then perhaps, um, it might lead to a dismissal, but typically that's not going to be the first thing that happens. Absolutely. All right, so we um, are done with the questions that I have for you, Um, but some listeners um, sent us a couple questions, so we're going to go ahead and answer those. Um, So the first question 
um, is an admissions related question and it asks, would repeating a course hurt my application? So when I read that question, would repeating a course hurt my application? No, and I guess I'm gonna take it two ways. One, I would say if you fail the course, then perhaps you should repeat the course so that you can help improve what your GPA looks like. There's no, everyone know, every, everyone is a human being um, and some things that you're going to be taking, you perhaps need to go back. And if you didn't learn it the first time, you might wanna go back and take another stab at it. It also shows us that in the event that you do have a failure, you know, what do you do in the face of adversity? If something does challenge you, is it something that you just walk away from? Or is it something that says, you know, I had a difficult time the first time, these are the things that I'm going to do to improve, and then you improve your scores. So let's say that you did fail a class and then you had the opportunity to retake the course and you got a B, I actually think that, that would be something that would be helpful for your application. Um, if you pass the class and you wanna go ahead and repeat the class for an A, then so be it. Um, I don't think it, repeating a class is going to be anything that's going to hurt your application. Awesome. Um, the next question um, asks, do committee members actually read the OptomCast essay? If so, what are some no-nos for the essay? So yes, we do. Our committee members do, um, do read, actually the faculty members who are interviewing you read the OptomCast essay. Um, typically the admissions committee doesn't read your essay, although they do read your letters of recommendation. Uh, so No-nos for the essay, I would say that our immediate turnoffs are individuals who don't do spell check or have grammar where you could tell that they didn't put in a lot of time to the essay. I mean, there's an opportunity for you to submit something. So hopefully have someone else read it. Um, referencing the wrong program is probably something I would make sure that you do. So there, uh, we've read some essays before that talk about how they're excited to go into um, the pharmacy program. Obviously we're not a pharmacy program. So paying attention to details um, and just making sure that you're answering the question. So if, you're, if there's really no mention as to why you're interested in optometry, then I would say that's probably something I would focus on if you're, when you're talking about your essay itself. And then just try to show your personality or at least just some interest. The essay is really just kind of a way for us to get to know you and maybe something that we could ask you in the interview or talk to you a little bit about. So I think it's your opportunity to kind of show a little bit about you. Awesome. I mean, like you said, spell check, like it's something that is, you know, super easy. And you said that would be a turnoff if you're reading an essay and it's just, there's a lot of run-on sentences, grammatical mistakes. So that's an easy fix yeah, right there. The easy thing to do is just hit spell check. So, um, you know, or spell optometry correctly, that probably would be a, a positive thing to do. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so the next question asks, um, what is the student demographic like at Arizona College of Optometry? So when I look at this question, one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, where are our students come from? Um, typically the Arizona College of Optometry is a little unique in that we have a little bit more of equal male versus female, which is a little bit different than all the other optometry schools. Um, although I think our, this incoming class is a little bit more female, but typically the profession of optometry is actually kind of tipping more to be more heavily female um, oriented in the classroom. So we're actually a little bit more equal in comparison to other schools. I would say the makeup of where most students come from, we have usually a small set of Canadians, um, Utah, California, Arizona, and Texas would probably be 
our larger area of where students come from. But I was looking at our incoming class and we have several students. Um, we have a couple incoming from Hawaii. There's many from the Midwest, Indiana, Kansas, um, Colorado. We have people from New Mexico, North Dakota, Montana, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and Maine, Arkansas. So the, the makeup of students is actually kind of from all over. And that usually is a trend that we have um, of all of our students that are coming. There's a lot of students that are coming from lots of different places. And I would say that that also is because Phoenix is a hodgepodge. Typically people that are in Arizona are from, largely from the Midwest or even some of the colder places um, just because it's nice here and they like the warm weather. And then of course, obviously West Coast because it's close to California and or even um, Washington and Oregon. Awesome, so people from all over. Pretty much all over. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next question, um, it's a kind of a COVID related question says, are classes back in person for this year? Yes, classes are going to be back in person. We actually have had classes back in person um, the entire last year as well. If students wanted to, they had the opportunity to come to class in person. It was also um, being recorded. So kind of your, your level of comfortability with um, COVID we tried to make sure that the students had every opportunity to kind of pick the best scenario for them for their learning environment and their comfort level. All laboratories are in person. Um, and I would say that our transmission on campus has been very, very low. And I know in the last month or so, we've had zero cases of COVID positive um, faculty, staff, or students, and that's between both campuses. So our Arizona campus, as well as our Downers Grove campus. So we take it very, very seriously, um, and we make sure that all protocols are in place. But yes, all classes will be back in person, and our plan is to also have classes back in person for this incoming fall year and moving forward, of course, unless something else happens that we didn't anticipate. All right, yay for that. Um, mm -hmm. And do students still get to choose between online or in-person or is it just strictly in-person? Moving forward this fall, it will be in-person, but they will have the opportunity to see a recorded, um, let's say they missed lecture or they were in class and they happened to kind of um, see an ad for something they were interested in on their computer during the lecture and they spaced out, they would have the opportunity to hear the recording as well. All right, that is actually very relatable. Yes. <laughs> Um, so our next question um, is asking about externships, and it asks, where are the most popular externship sites? When I read that, I actually reached out to our externship coordinator, and her and I were discussing, you know, I think it's kind of related to what the students want and the students' interest. One of the great things that I love about all of our externship sites is we offer a lot of variety, and so we were looking at um, you know, what are the most popular sites based upon, you know, from previous years. Location really plays a big part. Um, so Hawaii is obviously a popular site. Alaska is a popular site. Um, lots of opportunities within Arizona. But I think the types of externship sites that we offer are really kind of what drive what's popular and what students are looking for. So if you want an opportunity at a private practice. We have lots of opportunities there all over. I know um, Washington is one of our popular sites, but then there's also a great site in Tennessee. Uh, we do have, looking at an externship survey that was 
printed out last year at all the other schools, we do have a larger number of Indian health sites or um, Indian health services. So locations that you're going to be dealing with Native American populations, which typically is a very high incidence of ocular disease. So you're gonna see a lot of diabetes and or even just um, different ocular conditions that you might not encounter depending on the location of that site. Cause you might be out in the middle, like you might be two hours um, from say a larger town in a few of the locations. So you'll get to see a lot of emergency patients and things that you probably aren't going to see in maybe some other locations. So I would say that the popularity of externship sites really depends on what the students are looking for. Um, and the fact that we offer a variety, I think is one of the reasons that students select being here and even just the variety of, um, I'm coming from Utah and we have sites in Utah or I'm coming from North Dakota and I wanna go back to North Dakota or someplace close to Canada, that way it'll be nice for me to be at home. Awesome, so um, the college doesn't necessarily have a say in what sites you need to be at, is that correct? So the way that our externship process works, um, and every school is a little bit different. Some of them look at GPA and how they rank them. We actually have what's kind of similar to um, a residency matching system. So let's say you're a student who is married and your family's here in Arizona and you have a house and you wanna stay in Arizona, then you can rank all Arizona sites and most likely you'll be able to get to all of those Arizona sites. Again, assuming um, that the rest of your class doesn't all want to be in Arizona. Um, so that's usually how, and we have, there's some requirements, like we want you to go to a, a, an ocular disease type site, and then you have a site where you're going to come in-house, because we want to make sure that you're having a, a variety of encounters. So specifically, you know, you're working with specialty contact lenses, that you will have seen a pediatric patient, so that you're a well-versed um, and well-rounded clinician when you graduate from the program. Awesome, got it. Okay, so Dr. Feist, we're coming up on our very last question. This one is not necessarily related to the program or optometry at all. Um, and it's just asking, um, what is the city life like in Glendale for students? So I'm assuming um, out of state students, students that are not familiar with the area, um, what do you love about um, the city of Glendale? So one of the things I would say is where the school is located is very, is in a very safe, area. Um, I know a lot of students live like right next to the campus. There's an opportunity to live on campus, but there's tons and tons and tons of either houses or apartment buildings that are right next to the school. And right across the street, we have Zips is a local bar um, and they have food. So if you have want to go, it's like a sports bar. There's a coffee shop. There's a grocery store. There's a Del Taco. Like there's a lot of opportunities right around the school itself. Um, for you to even get food. I would say Westgate is probably the most popular night spot for most of the students, and that's about 20 minutes. That's where Cardinal Stadium is, um, also where the hockey team plays. And that's, again, a, about a 20-minute drive. If you're interested in sports, we have every single type of professional sports you would want here, hockey, football. Um, obviously, Phoenix Suns right now, when we're taping this, are, are currently – um, going to maybe bring home the title. So, you know, the, the basketball stadium and even in baseball, that's downtown. That's about a 20, 25 minute drive from here. Spring training is unique to Arizona. And that's something that I know a lot of our students go to spring training games. And that's within um, the city limits of Glendale, if you want, or there's different spring training facilities all throughout the Phoenix area. 
if you want, um, most of the students, when you talk to like your ability to do outdoorsy things, hiking, there is a lot of parks. There's a lot of hiking opportunities. There's even a hiking opportunity five minutes here from campus if you want, or you can go up to Sedona or Flagstaff or Prescott, which are all about an hour and a half away from here up north, which especially during the summer, a lot of people will go just because it's a little bit cooler. Um, the Grand Canyon is three hours from here. So those are kind of nice opportunities to do hiking. Golf, a lot of people um, love that they can golf and you can golf pretty much anywhere you want to within even Glendale, but also the Phoenix area. Um, the other thing too would be the local vicinity that we have to um, California. So a lot of people, even if they're in Glendale, they'll, they might even hop in the car and go to say San Diego or LA, which is about a six hour drive or an hour flight. Um, Vegas is about four and a half hours away. So is Palm Springs, Mexico, Rocky Point is another popular location for students to go. And that's about a four hour drive. There's a lot of airports here too. Where Glendale is located, um, the Phoenix airport is about 20, 25 minutes from the campus. And then there's also smaller airports where a lot of our students have direct flights to say smaller um, with smaller airlines, such as Allegiant or Spirit Airline to maybe go back to North Dakota or small towns, uh, maybe in the Midwest. So Glendale really is kind of a, a, a community where you can it can have some nightlife if you want. Scottsdale is probably the most known location for our students to go. Um, and that's, I would say there's a lot more bars there that are, are a little bit, you'll have a lot of different types of students um, and age range versus Westgate. So those are probably the two biggest places that most students go. And that's an easy drive for students to go and kind of party. Um, or there's a lot of opportunities for you just to kind of hang out at your local. There's lots of food options in Glendale as well as in Phoenix in general. So there's a lot of things for you to do. Um, Indian casinos are actually really close. So if that's something that you're interested in, there's not one actually in Glendale, but Talking Stick Resort is very close. And again, they have a great buffet and a lot of pools. Um, lots of pools, lots of lakes. Lake Pleasant is actually 40 minutes from here, um, right outside of Glendale. And then Lake Havasu and Lake Powell are about three and four hours away. So it's a, it's it's an easy location for you to live. It's very safe. Um, traffic is not, even though we are a very highly populated city, um, it's affordable for you to be here and to be able to kind of transport and get to lots of different locations around if you want to, or you can just stay within Glendale because it has every amenity that you would want. You know, even Target is really close by to the, to the college itself. Awesome. I mean, it sounds like there's something for everyone and there's a lot of drivable places around. So you can do like little mini weekend trips um, so that you don't feel like you just have to do school all day, every day. Um, yes. I feel like a lot of people um, who, you know, are still applying to optometry school. I know I was like worried about the same thing, which is like, okay, when I'm not doing school, hopefully there's like a little bit of fun that I can have in the city that my school is, um, is at. So there's a lot of options, foods, um, nature trails, and all, lots of different cities that are drivable. Um, so that seems like you have a lot of options. It is. It's a lot of options. And other things, too, that students really like about the campus um, is that when you're on campus, you're on campus. So and what I mean by that is like when you're coming in for class, you don't necessarily have to drive to a different location to go to clinic. 
So you don't have to think about that commute time. You don't have to necessarily worry about that. You will also even see students who ride their bike on campus. You'll see a lot of people who walk on campus. Um, and we even have badges that will badge in and out of the doors. So it's a very safe place for you to be. And um, it's also a safe location. So, you know, if you are studying, let's say late at night in the library and you want to go walk out to the parking lot, you can do that. Um, everything is kind of gated within. So no one really that shouldn't be on campus is going to be on campus. Um, and then a lot of our students will walk back and forth between, they usually live like right across the street. So it's nice, even if it's later, if you are say a single individual, you, you do, you, all the students feel safe on campus. And if you didn't for any reason, there are places that you can go and you could ask security to escort you anywhere you wanted on campus if that was something that you were worried about. So I know that's that's one thing that a lot of our students like, just the feel of campus and just how the, the safety, but then also the things that they can do kind of, as you said, you know, off campus, because you're right, you can't be doing school all the time. Awesome, yeah. Um, Dr. Feist, thank you so much for your time. This was such an informative episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Um, and again, Dr. Feist, thank you for your time. Thank you so much and you have a wonderful day. So that is all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening and found it helpful. Um, and tune in next week for a brand new episode all about my experience with the first week of optometry school. And as always, we'll be keeping it OD. Thank you guys.